This is a show for missionary disciples who worship Christ in the Eucharist and serve Him in their neighbor, for whom the words of the Creed reverberate through their daily activity. This is a show for those like you and me who make the conscious choice to follow Christ outside the walls. There's a quote that I used to use all the time when doing marriage prep from George Bernard Shaw. And he says, the biggest problem with communication is the illusion that it's taken place. The biggest problem with communication is the illusion that it's taken place because we often assume that expression equals communication. If I have expressed myself to the best of my ability and, and been honest with what I am feeling inside and internalizing and and I put it out for the world, then I have communicated. But the truth is that's only one one part of communication. Yes, there is the expression of our thoughts and of our feelings and, and of the way that we perceive the world. But the other thing we have to be mindful of is who is receiving that message. You see this in the gospel writers who very carefully tailor their message to the audience to whom they're writing. You would write something differently to someone who you know very well, to someone who you don't know very well. So, for instance, the Gospel of Matthew is written to a particular people and culture that were very well known to the author Matthew. Whereas the book of Romans, Paul had never gone to Rome yet. He was going and asked, basically this letter was an application to the church in Rome for them to support him on his missionary endeavors out to Spain. So here we have a very different kind of letter. And I don't think we often think about who our audience is when we're speaking. Now, this is especially true in the topic of evangelization. And so there's a great new book about this by Patrick Sullivan, who's a Catholic speaker and president of Evango, a Canadian Catholic media organization focused on the new evangelization. You can find the book over at evango.net, and the book is titled The Three Languages of Evangelization, Speaking the Faith in a Way They'll Understand. I want to unpack this a little bit. Patrick, it's great to have you on the show today. Well, thank you, Theo. I'm excited. I'm very excited because I think, and I'm certain actually you'll agree with me on this, uh, we don't talk about this form of communicating nearly enough. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm so glad that we get to unpack this today together. So first of all, we all have this experience. You possibly more than some of us because you are over on the, you're the, the neighbor to the north. There's a little bit more, or at least there's a perception that it is a more secularized environment, although the U.S. is quickly following suit. Mm-hmm. But... We've, we've had this experience where we try to say something positive about the faith and, and absolutely get shut down. Maybe we mention uh, all of the, the, the charitable efforts that go on in the church and, or, or some positive experience we have with the church and the abuse crisis gets brought up. That's right. Or we, we talk about some uh, deeply impactful thing in our lives only to have someone else share their experience in a negative way of maybe being ignored or ostracized or put on the sidelines by the church. So there's this obvious communication gap, and yet we want to be evangelizers. We know that this is something important. We know that that sharing our faith and sharing our experiences is part of the human experience. We just can't find a way to break through to this audience. 
And so we think, well, they just don't want to hear from me. Uh, I, I'm just not effective. Mm -hmm. Now, this is what the whole book is about. So let's start from the beginning because there is this temptation to say, well, you know, there's that old quote that falsely attributed to uh, St. Saint Francis, uh, go out and preach the gospel. And if you must use words, so I'll just, I'll just preach the gospel silently with my witness. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, I like to use the image of getting off a dusty plane, stepping onto the ground into a culture that we're not familiar with. We're standing in their market square and we start to show with passion. We start to uh, use our hands. We start to make amazing facial expressions and people are just not communicating with us. It's just, we're not having the response we would expect or hope for. And then the moment should hit us having just stepped off this plane and into this world that maybe just maybe they don't speak the same language that we do. And that's precisely what this book is about. It's precisely what my work in evangelization has led me to, to believe quite firmly that if you are in this other culture, this other place where they speak a very different language, they are going to tune you out. That's natural. That's normal. It doesn't make them evil or bad. All it means is use their language and watch their ears perk up. And we've seen that ourselves. If we've traveled abroad, it becomes a blur. If, if we're in a world where the, another language is being spoken, the moment someone uses English, we cannot help but hear them. That's what we're talking about here. If we can tap into the language that is actually naturally used, the one that's infused in the human heart of the person right across from us, we have their attention. And we've been missing this for far too long. So there are three, thanks be to God. There's not a hundred of them. There's not thousands of them. There are three. You know, um, it's even, I think, a little bit more difficult because uh, there have been people who have come to them and spoken our language and done so in a harmful way. And so we're yes. not just overcoming the communication gap. We also have to, in some way, prove ourselves to be of a different camp than those who came before. That's correct. That's correct. And within that, too, we can have a lot of problems because we think that, especially if it's not the language we naturally speak and we're trying to adapt our our way of communicating, we can really trip over our own two feet if we don't understand that language group properly. They're looking for certain things. So if I'm speaking with a beauty speaker, I have to tailor the way I present the message differently than a truth speaker or the goodness speaker. And sometimes using the opposite of what would work for the goodness speaker is detrimental for the beauty speaker. I'll give you one very brief example of this. Beauty speakers love looking out at the world and seeing the mosaic. They love seeing the story put together. They love how it all fits. And they love being brought to the world as one is by a tour guide. Oh, do you see that sunset, right? This is what the beauty speaker in your life is the one who'll interrupt you mid-sentence to point out the beautiful starry sky, right? We all, we've all had this experience. You're deep in a conversation and they say, oh, I'm sorry. I just love this song. I just love this song. Right? Or think, what are you doing? If you're not a beauty speaker, you might be very aggravated by this. Now contrast that for a moment with the, the goodness speaker. The goodness speaker doesn't like goodness paraded in front of them. Goodness is not a show. Beauty, we want it pointed out. We want to see it. We want to experience it. We want to know because maybe we've missed it. We've missed, oh, there's a great view. If you go to the top of that gorge, there's just a spectacular view. For the goodness speaker, they want it 
to be, I want to find the hidden things. I want it slowly revealed to me, yes, but not pointed out like it's a show. So if I use the same approach with both, I'm going to lose one or the other. And we have to be very cognizant of that. So these are the kinds of things we need to understand. Yes, they could have had another truth speaker bring, you know, some poor examples to them and witness quite poorly. But then there's also a lot of counterfeits involved in there. Speaking, of the, I call them the kryptonite for these individuals. Uh, ways of speaking that just turn them off. And we have to be aware of those as well. So you've, you've hinted at it by giving us uh, truth and goodness, but the languages of evangelization that you're speaking of are those transcendentals of truth right. and goodness and beauty. And they are universal. Uh, the reason that we can, can say there's three languages and only three languages, uh, no matter where you go, is because these are the things for which we have infinite appetite as humans. Absolutely. Truth and goodness and beauty. And yes, we're going to... Uh, kind of allied more towards one than the others just by virtue of who we are. Um, but so as we're talking about speaking their language, first, I think it's important for us to recognize, well, one, that there are languages and two, what am I most comfortable speaking in myself? What's the language that I'm speaking? Absolutely. And you have to really be mean to yourself. It's difficult, right? Because we think we know ourselves and more often than not, we know this from the spiritual life. We know this when we go to confession or if you're married and your spouse turns to you and says that you're not like that at all, actually. Um, we need to step out of ourselves and say, how do I speak? Yes, but what am I naturally drawn to? When in my life have I experienced the divine moment, that kind of theophany that was just for me? When did that happen? And I, and I can tell you, y'all, for me, I love the intellectual stuff. I love the books. I love the fathers. I, I love the scriptures. I love it. But if you want to get to me, if you want to break my heart open, it's through beauty. It's not truth. Beauty. And I only learned this about myself when I went back in my memory and reflected upon the moments that grabbed me for God. And it was still a choice. It's always a choice. He enters into our freedom. But I remember the moment. I was sitting in adoration, not even understanding what it was at the time, many, many years ago. And I knew God was there. Why? Because the beauty of the event. Mm -hmm. So if you're listening right now and you're, you're wondering what language is my primary language, go back to that moment for yourself where you knew beyond a shadow of the doubt, he's here with me. What was that moment like? Was it reading a, a line from Aquinas. I have friends that that was it. They, they read something and it made sense mm -hmm. to them. Oh, maybe you're a goodness or sorry, a speaker of truth. If that's the case, my own children, I love reflecting on their young lives and, and you can pinpoint this with your children too. My daughter, for example, a moment, I, I share this in the book. She was out. We're both in the rain and she just, everything stopped for her. The only thing that mattered was that one man gave a coat to a woman. She saw an act of goodness and it, and it just captured her little heart. So if you're listening right now, and for you, I want to know which one is yours, by the way. Uh, what is that moment that drew you in? And without it, you would have been circling the divine city for far too long. You know, this is an interesting point because I, I've, as a convert, a lot of people, and, and having been in ministry before I came into the Catholic Church, a lot of people have really wanted me to be that that 
truth person of, oh, you read your way in. Well, that's right. no, I actually didn't. I love, I love the readings of the church fathers, but that's something that I've come to after coming into the church. Uh, and, and so I'm kind of wrestling, still trying to discern between the other two. Um, mm. But I think probably I, I speak more goodness now, but I think that that's a, an acquired taste. I really do think that it's those, those places of, um, of transcendent beauty that kind of capture and so, but, but there is, it's kind of a freeing to hear that permission of, oh, you, it's, it's really okay to not be the person who read your way in, right? There's, there's other, Absolutely. other, right. other paths. And you know, it, it is free because we, especially in our time in the, the larger culture of there, we favor, um, you know, the intellectual outlook, right? If you are the logical one, you're the reasonable one, you're very learned. We still praise those things today, even if the secular culture is not willing to actually engage in those things with us. And we can, especially, I, I can only imagine, you know, you must have reasoned through this to come back uh, to the faith, to the Catholic Church. But I've learned over the years, TL, over and over and over again, that's just one of three. Mm-hmm. I remember a story. I was at a parish mission. This is years ago now where I can't remember. I do make mention of it in the book, but I believe it was the, the wife. She was the only one at the event. And she came up to me after this presentation on the languages and she was in tears. And I I didn't think I said anything too uh, disastrous during the talk. So I was a little confused. And she said, no, I'm sorry. I'm just having a hard time dealing with this because I've been shutting down my husband for so many years. When we first got together, he seemed like such a man of faith, but then I realized he wasn't because he wasn't doing the learning with me. He wasn't catechizing. He wasn't quoting the fathers and the scriptures. He wasn't going through the logical processes and reading the documents of the church. So I shut him down over and over again. And I forced him to do things like I would do them. And I said, well, how's that going for you, your <laughs> husband? <laughs> and she said, he doesn't come to church anymore. You see, I made him believe, this is what she told me, I made him believe that to be a man of faith was to be logical. Mm-hmm. And that hearing that, I mean, my heart broke for her. And I asked her a little bit, we had a, a little time to talk afterwards, and she said, he... Seeing it now, how wrong it was, he wanted to take, he would take kids, you know, from the inner city out to the forest and they would do camping and Bible songs. And what was he doing? He was a beauty speaker. He was finding ways to show people the beauty of God's creation. And she said, I remember him even saying, you know, even the rocks cry out to the Lord. Sound like a, a great man of faith. But if we don't know this kind of stuff, we can squash the faith of others. We really can well, and if we can do that to someone who's already in the faith, how much more can we sabotage, sabotage as we're trying to express the faith to someone who doesn't share it? Exactly. Exactly. So we really have to put our thinking hats on. You know, I meet someone for the first time or there's someone in my life I really want to reach. You need to do some reconnaissance. You need to figure out which language this person speaks and quickly and thankfully, it's not that hard to get a real good idea of the, the syntax that they have within their head. And it, it begins with this question. Are you ready? It, it's, it's as simple as this. You're walking along together or you're together in some fashion. You say, what do you think of that? 
What a profound and provocative question, right? What do you think of that? Maybe it is the nighttime in a starry sky. What do you think of that? And if they are a speaker of beauty, guess what? They have to comment on it. They cannot pass it by. I know, right? A billion stars. I don't, I, you know, I saw something like that on Monday. They can't, you've spoken their language. You've opened them up and you see the world now. This is how they compute this. You see the world the way they do. Mm-hmm. And especially in a time where people feel lonely, to know that another is on the walk with you and sees things the way that you do, that's amazing for them. If you're just joining us, we're talking today with Patrick Sullivan, the president of Ivango, a Canadian Catholic media organization focused on the new evangelization. The new book is The Three Languages of Evangelization, Speaking the Faith in a Way They'll Understand. You can get it today at ivango.net. So often we think of evangelization as uh, as answering objections or as I'm going to ask you this question to get a to get a sense of where you are so I can pin you down. And we ask very specific questions. Um, and, And so what we are trying to do in that sense is to categorize someone. Let me see where I can put you based on your very specific answers. There's it, it sounds similar to what you're saying, but you're not categorizing your understanding. And you're doing that through open-ended questions, uh, saying not so much, let me know where you are, but reveal yourself to me. Let's, let's share one another. Let's share experience and understanding. And it's a very different feeling on the receiving end. And we think we're subtle, but we're not. We're, mm-hmm. we're not subtle at all when we are trying to categorize a person. And a person understands and, and recognizes when they're being categorized or when they're being invited into a relationship. Exactly. It's yellow. And why? Because when we categorize someone, we're basically saying, I want to know which level I can begin teaching you. Mm-hmm. Right. So, you know, this about the faith. Okay. I can begin my catechizing of you right here. No, no, no. I just want to know how I can relate to you. I want a relationship. I want a friendship. You know, of all the loves you cannot evangelize unless you're willing to become genuine friends. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. the, this is the 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 whole way that Christ relates to the world. Uh, all throughout the scripture, he says, um, I will be your, you will be my people, I will be your God, and I will dwell among you. And he does this in a variety of ways throughout the Old Testament until he finally reveals himself in the incarnation by coming and being one of us. Mm-hmm. And, and we so have such a, a problem and difficulty allowing ourselves to break out of our preconception, those nice little boundaries of what it means to be a Christian, to go out and to dwell among them in the way that Christ dwells among us. That's right. That's right. Well said. We cannot move forward in evangelization in any form unless we're willing to have this dwelling among, right? Unless we're willing to live among the people, their lives, their brokenness, their messiness, uh, be willing to listen to their stories. And part of that, I think a huge part of that is just this first building block. Can I understand you when you're trying to reflect on your life? Can you understand me when I try to share a piece of myself? So we have to be willing to be patient. I I always am weary, always, of my fellow evangelists who want things to go quicker. Here's your elevator pitch. 
You know, <laughs> the only thing that should happen in an elevator is some first names. What's your name? Oh, you live in the building. Oh, that's great. I'll see you. Build on it. It takes time. Uh, you are not one thing I'm checking off my list. Okay, I got to TL. Who's next? It doesn't work like that. In fact, as you mentioned, they will sniff that out a mile away. I was at a parish just a couple of weeks ago, and this couple came up to me and they said they have been away from the church for over 15 years. So I asked them what had happened. And I was expecting, you know, the usual, you know, well, I have a problem with church teaching or moral doctrine, something like that. Scandal of some kind. And they said, no, no, actually, we came to the church years and years ago and through a, a, an individual in the parish. And it was great. This person reached out to us. But very quickly, we realized we were just a number for them. So as soon as they had, quote unquote, got us, this was the couple they this person had gotten us for the church. That was it. The friendship wasn't really there. And that, that hurt them. That hurt them to such a degree. They weren't catechized yet. They didn't know what they were leaving yet. We have Jesus in the Eucharist. No, no. It was, I thought for a moment you cared about me. Mm-hmm. And when the smoke cleared, that wasn't the case. Well, so here's, here's a big point here. Um, we think of evangelization as getting someone to confirmation, right? Getting them baptized, getting them to that point. But that's the beginning of the Great Commission. Go into all the world, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded, and, and we think that this isn't part of it, but it is, and behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age, right? Mm -hmm. So we think of that as being something, oh, well, that's something for the evangelizers, but I think that that's part of that teaching them. It's not just the intellectual, it's also the experience of Christ's presence. And so this is not about making converts, it's about making disciples. And in order to be a disciple, we have to be discipled, we have to be vulnerable enough with someone further along in the journey for us to be corrected and be directed in a way that that proceeds in the faith and the transcendentals of goodness, truth, and beauty. But also we need to then accompany those around us on this journey, not just get them into the church and then on to the next task. We are meant to be a community of people, just as the, just as the Trinity is a community and a communion of persons. As participants in the communion of the saints, we are not just a task or a cog on a wheel. We are a people traversing the wilderness together on our on our exodus uh, to our eventual homeland. That's right. That's why the Second Vatican Council wanted to call us the Pilgrim Church. We are people on the way. And it's wonderful to think about. Very often I, rem- I remind myself, I remind uh, my friends, that we all need to cultivate our own circle of grace. Mm-hmm. Right? There are people in your life right now at various stages of that journey, and they're going to need you in various ways. Are you open to that? Are you going to be present for that? Maybe they will have a question about the faith that you can help them solve. But more often than not, it's knowing that when life gets hard, this person's with me. You know, nothing changes one's perspective on the faith quite like that. When the going got tough, TL was there for me. Why? Remember that living to raise the question. Why? Because he has this crazy notion about the world that we were loved first in our sin, in our brokenness. And here he is doing it to me in my life. It's wonderful. 
so I've talked about this before on the show, but my my cousin is a priest. Um, the only probably the only Catholics around in our family for a very long time. Um, and so I, I would visit him a couple of times, and he was always the one who would. I thought he had the answers to my questions, but the truth is he was planting questions Ooh. in the way that he behaved and the way that he related to me. But the biggest way that he was able to do that was just by being available and and communicating that he was available. And, and so my process of coming to the faith and asking him those questions occurred over a span of a decade um, oh. that... I would have a question, I would go and I would think I was going to trip him up and I would ask him and he would answer it, but he would always be grace-filled and present. Uh, I was able, you know, he, I think I was out at his parish, either on the parish feast day or on uh, maybe even Easter, but uh, I, I think it must have been Easter because there was um, exaltation of the cross, uh, ad- adoration, not adoration, but exaltation of the cross, uh, veneration of the cross. And the mass was chanted, and he said, "Did you notice that? What What did you think about that? Let me tell you why that was." And it was just kind of a, a, a beauty, kind of here's an interesting thing that you might be interested in. Um, and then he didn't push. He didn't say, "Well, let's let's get you to the end of this uh, this sitcom episode so that we can wrap up all the the loose ends and and get you in." He just kind of left it open ended and let it ferment and let the yeast do what it does and. 10 years later, that resulted in me coming to the church where I don't know that the, the same thing would have happened if I had been an agenda. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And we can almost say with certainty, it would not have happened, right? I, I love the image for me, this, this speaks volumes of our Lord kind of wafting out a beautiful scent for us, right? When he appeals to our senses, when we see something with our eyes, when we hear something sonorous with our ears, we are pulled by it. We, we are attracted by it. We are wooed by it. We're never pushed into it. I think we need to emulate that in our own evangelizing. Our guest today is Patrick Sullivan, president of Evango, a Canadian Catholic media organization focused on the new evangelization. You can find out more about their work by going to evango.net, E-V-A-N-G-O.net. There you'll find a number of resources, including several books, The most recent book is The Three Languages of Evangelization, Speaking the Faith in a Way They'll Understand. Again, that's evango.net. Now, earlier, Patrick asked, what is your specific language? What's the way that you most resonate with the world? Is it through truth or goodness or beauty? Now, of course, you can experience the beauty of each of these. Each of us has an unquenchable appetite for each of these three transcendentals. But there's one, most likely, that you resonate with a little bit more. Well, come over to social media, facebook.com slash step outside the walls. On Twitter, the handle is at outside the walls. I want to hear your story. Tell me not only the primary language that you think you speak, but give me a story. Tell me a time that you encountered God in a profound way through the experience of truth or goodness or beauty. There's much more to this conversation right after this break. We're going to be talking and looking at the question specifically, what happens if I don't know what my language is? How do I discern that? How can I come to a place where I can encounter God and be assured of his presence? There's much more to come right after this, so don't go anywhere. You're listening to Outside the Walls with T.L. Putnam. 
Welcome back to Outside the Walls, where we explore the implications of our belief on our daily life. I'm your host, TL. We're talking today with Patrick Sullivan. Uh, he is the, the president of Evango, a Canadian Catholic media organization focused on the new evangelization. Find out more about them over at evango.net. While you're there, click the shop button because there's uh, several books that you can get a hold of, uh, a parenting session class that you can go through. Uh, the new book is The Three Languages of Evangelization, Speaking the Faith in a Way They'll Understand. We've been talking about these transcendentals and of, of truth and goodness and beauty as ways not only to uh, to grow in our faith, but also to communicate to people who are outside the faith. One of the reasons for this is because truth and goodness and beauty are not transcendentals of the Christian faith. They are realities of the world that that is common to to the whole human experience. Each yeah. of us as humans has an infinite appetite for these three things that we'll never get tired of. We're always going to want more truth or more goodness or more beauty. And your contention, and, and as you've been talking, I, I'm tending to agree, is that we as a person will have a drawing, a proclivity towards one of these, maybe more than the others. And this is the way that we interact with the world. The difference maybe between mathematicians and and musicians or artists or or those who are actively involved and drawn to those works of goodness and of charity. Uh, mm -hmm. These are, as we see someone invested in that, we see also our way that we can best communicate to them. Well, that's exactly it. And I do caution us even still in the book, I caution us to not put the labels on people too quickly. And one of the mislabelings that we do is we look at a person's job, their profession, and we say, well, it seems like you would be best at that if you were a speaker of truth, or you would be best at that if you were, you know, creative at heart and a beauty speaker and so on. Really, like, let's be honest, we fall into our jobs, our professions for a whole host of reasons. Some of those might be the benefits that come with those professions that, that lures in a lot of people. It doesn't mean that we're not going to find, you know, the goodness speakers among the medical professions, right? It doesn't mean that we're not going to find the truth speakers among the lawyers. It means when we're looking for evidence, that's not one of the primary pieces of evidence that we, that we need. What we need are to step back and look at this person anew. Look at what pulls them, what stops them, what captivates them. Really, I was sitting with a lawyer a month or two ago. He was not captivated in the least by his work. In fact, given the slightest chance, and I always do this now. Once you know about the three languages, mm -hmm. you're going to do this everywhere. We're sitting with this lawyer, and we just started talking about the painting on his wall. And suddenly he lit up. Ah, beauty speaker among us right here. So you start to find these little things, these little windows into the heart of this person in front of you. And the book is filled with tips and tactics to really figure that out, to hone. I don't want you just saying, oh, this person is definitely this. We want to, because you know we, we catch on to little clues here and there. But give it some time. As you were, you were saying just before the break, you know, this takes time to let the person reveal themselves to you like christ among us as he was walking two thousand years ago they didn't just say there goes god right it's right. who is this guy slowly but surely and we get to of course thomas in the end right my lord and my god 
we, we need that time with the other to discover them, but also to let them reveal themselves to us. So there's another three words that I want to bring up, and I've wanted these to somehow mesh with the, the transcendentals of truth, goodness, and beauty for a long time. And I'm sure that they do in some way. I've just, I haven't found it yet. <laughs> okay. Jesus says in the Gospels, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And I've looked at evangelization in this way, that there's going to be people for whom the way is very appealing and the truth is not. Um, they're not, not some definitive objective answer. They want a way to live or they want to experience life. And I could see maybe that one aligning with beauty. Uh, they, they want to experience life in its fullness. And so for them, the way and the truth aren't as appealing or, or uh, moving as the life is. And so mm -hmm. Jesus saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life means that I am available to each of you in the way that you most desire and the answer exactly. to that deepest desire. Beautifully said. And I think very much the same thing when I hear, you know, do you say I'm the way I'm thinking the way to live mm -hmm. the way that imitates the father, the way that, you know, people look upon us Christians, Catholics, and they say, there goes the love of God. There goes Christ among us. And when I think about life, I mean, this is one of the great things about beauty speakers. They are not content with pieces that don't fit, mm -hmm. right? For the beauty speaker, they want to know that everything fits. Show me life as it's meant to be. I want to know how even the fall fits in. Here's St. Augustine, no happy fault, yeah. right? And obviously truth, those speakers of, of truth. Uh, God bless them. I wish sometimes I was among them because it makes us feel pretty smart when we say that. But uh, I'm not myself. <laughs> I agree. If you're saying to you know, that that's how you're classifying them, that the way and uh, the ways for the goodness speaker, mm -hmm. that life is for the beauty speaker and truth, obviously for the speaker of truth, uh, I'm inclined to agree. Yeah. But there's been no book written on that as far as I know. So <laughs> second, we'll to, second edition, right? Second edition. <laughs> we'll add that in there. But I think it's a beautiful way of looking at it. I, I really do. We're talking again with Patrick Sullivan, uh, the president of Evango, Canadian Catholic media organization, evango.net. So here we are. We're hearing this. Let's get um, maybe a takeaway. How do I, obviously I'm going to buy the book and read it, and that's going to help me evaluate. But how do I first evaluate what my own language is? How can I parse that out in a way that... Um, that allows me to move forward. I would suggest two things primarily. The first, we already we already mentioned it. It's to go back in your memory mm -hmm. and pinpoint those theophanies, those moments where you experienced God and He revealed Himself to you most clearly. For myself, it was sitting in adoration, mm -hmm. uh, seeing the smoke rise up around Him, some beautiful music in the background. I had already been reading somewhat about the faith, but nothing grabbed me. It just didn't. And these were great authors. I mean, they're still great authors. For myself, it was, wow, Lord, you are here. Why, Patrick? Why? Because there's beauty here. Mm -hmm. So go back into your memory, all of you listening, and find those moments. I think you're going to discover that there's a pattern there. Either there were moments where you saw goodness unraveling in front of you. Wow, they just did that, and they didn't have to do that. 
or looking out at God's creation, you're seeing the beauty, maybe it's in adoration, whatever it is, you're the beauty speaker. Or maybe it is really rummaging through the great texts of the church in its various forms. You heard something and it made sense and you felt God's presence. He is here. That's the first thing I would suggest. So before we get to point two, I want to look at a particular phenomenon that I've seen happen a couple of times where someone has grown up in the faith. They've been baptized. They've been confirmed. They're active in catechesis. They listen to Catholic radio. They, they, whatever the case may be. But when you ask them that question and they try to go back through their experience, and maybe because they're a truth speaker and not a beauty speaker, they can't pinpoint a place where they've had a theophany where they mm-hmm. actually could say, I know that God was here and present. They've just said, well, this is what I was raised in, and this makes sense. What would you say to a person? Obviously, the first thing I would say is that God wants to give you that theophany. Yes. Uh, he wants to assure you of his presence. But uh, that person may have no idea where to begin. Um, how would you counsel that person? Well, that leads us directly to point number two. For the, the person who really struggles with, and this question comes up a lot, I'm not there yet. I haven't experienced him. I want to. But for whatever reason, it hasn't happened. I would say the second point then is perfect for you. Ask yourself, most bluntly, what do I do when I have nothing to do? What do I do when I don't have any work to do? When there's nothing on my schedule? What do I do when I just want to rest and be me? And that can be, at first blush, a kind of difficult question to answer because We've been taught in our society to fill every nook and cranny of our day. Yeah. Be successful. Get stuff done. Don't procrastinate. Um, and we, we fear the silence. But two wonderful things happen in silence, as you know, too. One is we hear God better than in any other situation. We can, he just, it's like he booms across the centuries to us. But the other thing is we start to see ourselves again. You know, we were somehow transported back to when we were a child, when that silence hit us. We're, we're transported back to when we were a teenager and silence hit us. Silence pulls it all together for us. So the, the bold question I, I put forward for your listeners, what do you do when there's absolutely nothing to do? When there's no pull for your time or your, there's no responsibilities thrown on you? Mm-hmm. Who are you? What are you doing in that moment? And some people... I would say don't have an answer to that. And so this is what this would would be my encouragement. Go and schedule some time where you have nothing pulling on your time. It's, it's painful and it's uncomfortable because we, we are so familiar with being occupied, but so long as we occupy ourselves with, with the tasks around us or with the hobbies even around us, Mm -hmm. um, we don't have time to just sit in silence or, or for instance, over and over in scripture, it says Jesus went out to a solitary place or to a silent place. And that's the place where he was recharged. Uh, Right after his baptism, he went out into the wilderness and fasted for 40 days. I'm not suggesting you, you jump straight there, but, but he scheduled some as much as it needed to be scheduled. He Mm -hmm. uh, set aside some specific time to be alone and unencumbered 
in order to have this experience with God. And so if that's what we're after, if we're after that, that theophany, that, that revelation of God to us, the way we have to achieve that is by clearing our schedule. Even if it's just for, an, for 30 minutes or an hour to begin with, so that we can quiet our thoughts, still our souls, and see what God would say to us. Absolutely. And well said, T.L. We need silence. And it is so foreign to us in our culture today. We fill it up and we actually attack silence like it's the enemy, which is incredibly uh, sad and deplorable. Here's something else we can do if we're, we're still struggling. Maybe we're, we're getting there. We're working through it. Maybe we can only do five minutes of silence before we start weeping or something like that. Go to your friends, go to your, your loved ones, those who seem to know you really well, and ask them questions like, would you describe me as an artist, the artist type, the creative type? Would you do that? Mm-hmm. No, would you describe me as like a, a deep thinker or someone who's just cold-hearted, logical? Would you, would you describe me that way? And we're using this kind of emphatic language and kind of ridiculous language to pull out of them mm-hmm. some kind of pattern. Well, I wouldn't put it that way, but yeah, you tend to, and then they fill in the blanks. If we're still struggling to get started on this process to know ourselves, well, there's nothing wrong with turning to those who love us and know us um, for a li- little bit of a start. But in my books, that's that's quite okay. Yeah. So was there ever a time that you thought, well, I, I'm really probably more this person and a loved one or a friend said, I don't see that in you. absolutely absolutely for my own life i've spent a lot of it in books in fact my mother described me as always with a book in my hand Mm -hmm. um so that was hard for me when i really started to notice the pattern as i was out there evangelizing and then testing it is this really a thing Mm -hmm. are these languages real well, one of the first things that happens is you reflect on yourself. Well, I thought I'm a speaker of truth. I mean, I love books. I'll read anything I can get my hand on to learn. I, I struggle with fiction, DL. I just, I want to read fiction. There's a lot of good fiction out there, but I can't. But really, when I get down to it, it's just a result of my training. And that was hard to, to swallow that really what I want in my heart of hearts, what I want is to experience the beauty of God. Mm-hmm. We've only just skimmed the surface of this book. Uh, the book is The Three Languages of Evangelization, Speaking the Faith in a Way They'll Understand. It's available right now, today. Go get it on evango.net, E-V-A-N-G-O dot net. And we've been talking with Patrick Sullivan, who is the president of Evango, which is a Catholic media organization focused on the new evangelization Patrick, thank you so much for joining us today. Well, thank you. This has been wonderful. If you missed any part of my conversation with Patrick or you want to go back and listen to something again or share it with your friends on social media, have no fear. All of our episodes are archived over at OutsideTheWalls.com. Now, as always, there is much more to the conversation than we can ever fit into the the brief time that we have together for our interview. Uh, If you liked this conversation, there is more to it available to all those who support the show through Patreon. All you have to do while you're at OutsideTheWalls.com, up in the top right-hand corner of the page, you'll see a button that says Patreon-support-the-show. Click that link, follow the directions, see if that's something that you're interested in, and 
If you are, come and join that support community that helps keep us on the air. Uh, and in gratitude, you get access to hundreds of extra segments, including about 13 extra minutes of conversation with Patrick Sullivan today. Again, that's over at OutsideTheWalls.com. Click that Patreon link. Now, I, I again, I want to invite you to come and be a part of the ongoing conversation over at our social media, Facebook.com slash StepOutsideTheWalls. On Twitter, the handle's at OutsideTheWalls. What stood out to you today? What what really grabbed your attention? What is your language that you speak most most fluently, as it were? What most resonates with you? Is it truth or goodness or beauty? Come share your thoughts and your story and read the, the thoughts and stories of others at facebook.com slash step outside the walls. On Twitter, the handle's at outside the walls. Now, let's go ahead and turn our attention to our readings from Scripture and church history. That's the sound of the Verbum Library launching up. Verbum helps you read Scripture in light of church teaching, putting the magisterium at your fingertips by linking Scripture to the catechism, to the fathers and doctors of the church, biblical commentaries, church documents, and so much more. You can learn more by going to Verbum.com. Our reading today from Scripture comes from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 6. Jesus summoned the twelve and began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over unclean spirits. He instructed them to take nothing for the journey but a walking stick, no food, no sack, no money in their belts. They were, however, to wear sandals, but not a second tunic. He said to them, Wherever you enter a house, stay there until you leave from there. Whatever place does not welcome you or listen to you, leave there and shake the dust off your feet in testimony against them. So they went off and preached repentance. The twelve drove out many demons, and they anointed with oil many who were sick and cured them. That reading comes from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 6. And we're going to look at this with spiritual eyes. Yes, this is a, a recounting of a specific thing that happened, but we as his disciples today are also sent out. And I want to look at this specific uh, instruction. He instructed them to take nothing for the journey but a walking stick, no food, no sack, no money in their belts. They were, however, to wear sandals, but not a second tunic. So what what can we get from this? Why do we have this list? Why did the author of Scripture, St. Mark, feel that it was important to put this little bit of information in? Well, as we go out on the journey, it would be very easy for us to gather everything that we might possibly need and put it into our bags so that we could prepare for every eventuality. But as Patrick mentioned earlier in the show, one of the most important things that we must do when we evangelize is to listen for the Holy Spirit. Listen for the presence of the Holy Spirit. He instructed them to take nothing but a walking stick, something for stability, something to help that journey go more easily in terms of navigating. But no food, no sack no money in their belts, because if I know that I have everything that I need, if, if, if things don't go the way I plan, I have a contingency. I've got this backup. I'll be able to eat. I'll be able to, I can rely on my planning and on myself. And this isn't what God wants for his disciples. He wants us to fully rely on him. And as we go out, specifically as we're 
proclaiming the gospel, we need to be listening because His Holy Spirit is the only thing that's going to get us through. If we rely on our own strength or on our own planning, we're going to miss something very important that's going to affect us, but it's also going to affect negatively those who want to hear, who need to hear the gospel. And if we're relying on ourselves and not on the Spirit, if we're looking to our own needs and not trusting in His provision, then we might miss something and we might lose someone. And so... I think that he sent them out in this way to give them a little security, having someone to go with them, being able to have the walking stick, being able to wear sandals. There's some protection there, but there's no fallback, no second tunic, nothing, no fallback other than trusting in the divine provision of God. And I think that that is something that when we are called out to evangelize, God asks of us as well. Our reading today from Church History comes from the Catechesis by St. Cyril of Jerusalem. The Catholic Church glories in every deed of Christ. Her supreme glory, however, is the cross. Well aware of this, Paul says, God forbid that I glory in anything but the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. At Siloam, there was a sense of wonder and rightly so. A man born blind recovered his sight. But of what importance is this when there are so many blind people in the world? Lazarus rose from the dead, but even this only affected Lazarus. What of those countless numbers who have died because of their sins? Those five miraculous loaves fed 5,000 people, Yet this is a small number compared to those all over the world who were starved by ignorance. After 18 years, a woman was freed from the bondage of Satan. But are we not all shackled by the chains of our own sins? For all of us, however, the cross is the crown of victory. It has brought light to those blinded by ignorance. It has released those enslaved by sin. Indeed, it has redeemed the whole of mankind. Do not then be ashamed of the cross of Christ. Rather, glory in it. Although it is a stumbling block to the Jews and folly to the Gentiles, the message of the cross is our salvation. Of course, it is folly to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it was not a mere man who died for us, but the Son of God, God made man. In the Mosaic Law, a sacrificial lamb banished the destroyer. But now, it is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Will he not free us from our sins even more? The blood of an animal, a sheep, brought salvation. Will not the blood of the only begotten Son bring us greater salvation? He was not killed by violence. He was not forced to give up his life. He was a willing sacrifice. Listen to his own words. 
I have the power to lay down my life and to take it up again. Yes, he willingly submitted to his own passion. He took joy in his achievement. In his crown of victory, he was glad. And in the salvation of man, he rejoiced. He did not blush at the cross, for by it he was to save the world. No, it was not a lowly man who suffered, but God incarnate. He entered the contest for the reward he would win by his patient endurance. Certainly, in times of tranquility, the cross should give you joy, but maintain the same faith in times of persecution. Otherwise, you will be a friend of Jesus in times of peace and his enemy during war. Now you receive the forgiveness of your sins and the generous gift of grace from your king. When war comes, fight courageously for him. Jesus never sinned, yet he was crucified for you. Will you refuse to be crucified for him who for your sake was nailed to the cross? You were not the one who gives the favor. You have received one first. For your sake, he was crucified on Golgotha. Now, you are returning his favor. You are fulfilling your debt to him. That reading comes from a catechesis by St. Cyril of Jerusalem. We read that on the fourth Sunday of Ordinary Time in the Office of Readings out of the Breviary. St. Cyril asks of us, An uncomfortable question. And if it's uncomfortable for you, think about who this was originally directed towards. These were the catechetical uh, lectures given to those who had recently been baptized. These were written around 380, uh, 370 to 380 AD. And so persecution is not that far in past memory. And he asks them, are you willing to go to the cross for Christ, he who went to the cross for you? Are you willing to find comfort in the cross, but also mission in the cross? And St. Cyril juxtaposes that against these other really overt miracles, the feeding of the 5,000, the healing of the man born blind, and the freeing of the woman. These are just right out and absolutely triumphant miracles. And St. Cyril says, yes, it's easy to glory in those things, but let's turn our attention to those things that are less obviously triumphant. Let's glory in the cross of Christ and embrace that cross for ourselves because, as Jesus said, if anyone would come after him, taking up our cross is part of that. Even if we're certain that by witnessing to Christ will involve some loss for us, we take up our cross, we follow after him, going into all the world, making disciples. That's all the time we have for today. Today's show was brought to you by Carrie Carlson and all of those who support the show through Patreon. Go over to OutsideTheWalls.com, click that Patreon link, and consider joining their numbers. Until next week, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Peace.